0: pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with quince go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365 day returns
1: one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes nice dress uh it's a it's a t-shirt until you tried it on same goes for your health care It's the second time it's done. Oh! Never got home. They never got home. They never got home. Those those, those boys.
0: That's yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, oh, you can
1: laugh. i the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to
2: be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. did you I'd like
0: to, to it? stay alive for All six right, days. days. Okay. I'd say it to your face, not say it
2: what to what you now. Come
0: down to field and we'll see them, What
2: you doing down here? You're man. <laughs>
1: Angry Luke Shaw wants move from Manchester United is the least surprising headline I've read all season. Hello and welcome to Monday Second Captain's Football Podcast. Hi there, Ken. Hi, Ciarán. there, you. How are you? The Times in the UK. I'm better than Luke Shaw, guys. I'm better than Luke Shaw. The Times reports that the fullback wants out after becoming exasperated by Jose Mourinho's treatment of him. Mourinho substituted Shaw at halftime of the FA Cup win over Brighton. And at the bottom of this article is one of those helpful timelines. What Mourinho has said about Shaw sometimes you forget some of the specifics. You just remember he's been a bit mean about him publicly quite a few times. November 6th, 2016. Luke Shaw told me this morning that he was not in the condition to play. So he had to build a defensive line. There's a difference between the brave who want to be there at any cost and the ones for whom a little pain can make a difference. Hmm. Leaving it up to the okay. imagination of the reader to decide which camp Luke Shaw fits into it's not not that hard to decipher April 2nd 2017 it's difficult for Shaw to be on the bench because I can't compare him with Ashley Young with Darmian with Blind I can't compare the way he trains the way he commits the focus the ambition I can't compare he's a long way behind April 5th 2017 so it's three days later Shaw had a good performance but it was his body with my brain. He was in front of me and I was making every decision for him.
3: That's the one that came immediately to mind. Yeah, me.
1: that's the one. We, yeah. we enjoyed that one at the time. Even and when he's playing well, it's, it's down to me. Just this weekend gone, he was asked, why did you take off Luke Shaw at halftime? He said, I wanted my defensive line to be more solid and I want more personality in my team because many times I felt that Mattage was an island of personality, desire and control surrounded by a lack of personality, a lack of class and a lack of desire. So people have taken that to be a criticism of all the rest of the team which it partly is but the question was the answer was framed around a question about why he took Luke Shaw off in particular so we can see that he believes Luke Shaw embodies all of those issues why on earth would Luke Shaw want to leave a manager who's so dedicated to firing him up Mm. if Mourinho didn't rate Luke Shaw he wouldn't keep saying such nasty things about him to try to get the best out of him
3: I do have a bit of a problem with how you frame that on
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah he just feels there's more in Luke Shaw yeah the question I would have for Luke Shaw is, why didn't you leave last summer? That's the that's the thing that makes me, you know, uh, that's, when I'm looking at this, I'm like, okay, you should have gone. You should have taken this in hand. You should have realized you can't work with this guy. You Can't trust him. Can't be around him. He's going to be bad for you. You need to get out of there. And I don't know what what the thought process was. He, he should have been fighting to get out uh, and, to, and to save his career.
1: Three of those comments that I mentioned were last season. Mm-hmm so oh, yeah. The, no, so he mean, said, on he on said most of this stuff he, before, he's been, before been before the whipping
0: summer. boy he's been the whipping boy now for a long time
1: do you reckon that the people who advise him or maybe just the professional desire that he has within him would lead him to the conclusion I, I know I'm, I was taking the piss a little bit but that okay he he, he he's, he's putting it up to me here publicly mm. and I've got to show that I do have that fire you, you hear this kind of stuff from time to time that yeah. a player gets fired up by that kind of thing.
0: that's the way it's explained to that 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 may be what somebody said to Luke Shaw. I'm not sure. I mean, I think what the point that you make about the, the sort of professional pride, in the sense that if Luke Shaw had left Manchester United last summer, it would have been there goes Luke Shaw, the man who didn't make it at Manchester United, mm-hmm. and maybe something in him rebelled against this idea that he didn't. Mm-hmm. He, he felt given that remember that when Louis van Gaal was the manager, Luke Shaw actually did have a spell where he p- was playing really well and looked as though he was going to become a Was going to be their left back for ten years. He got the injury, and things haven't been quite as good since then. Because when he recovered, uh, the new manager was Jose, Mm -hmm. and Jose needs a whipping boy.
3: It is odd, though. I mean, if if uh, if Luke Shaw was working for you know Omnicom, you know factory in Blanchardstown. I mean, there's not even you know you're not saying he couldn't make it at. Omnicom or whatever, you know, you just leave a job where your boss is bullying you.
0: Well, certainly if you have, as I believe he has, options, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not a choice between Omnicom and the and dole. It's, he could move to another firm in the same industry, mm. uh, you know. I mean, it, it's interesting when you see this because one thing that I've seen people saying is, this isn't the first time Luke Shaw has been called out for lack of professionalism. Pochettino did it as well. You know, because what always, what happens when Mourinho starts pointing the finger at the scapegoat, you always get a certain number of people who will line up and say, "The charismatic leader is right. He has he has pointed out the evildoer. We must root out the evildoer who's who has sabotaged us from within." You know, spill uh, kill the pig, spill his blood. You know, that's uh, that's Lord of the Flies. I'm not. I don't mean to say Luke Shaw is a pig as such. Um, okay. but um, you know what what. That so people say people have criticised him for his, his lack of professionalism before. Um, well, Pochettino, Pochettino actually wrote about. Him. Remember, Pochettino obviously managed Luke Shaw at Southampton when when Luke Shaw played great football and was then signed by Manchester United for thirty million on the strength of these performances. So they, they they did well together. Uh, in Pochettino's uh, recent book, there's actually a little chapter by Luke Shaw. Um, he contributes a little chapter. Talking about um, talking about how great it is to, to work with. But uh, do you want to hear a little bit? About yeah, I do. It?
1: Just hold it for your report on sport, though, yeah, because yeah, that's yeah. coming up in a second. Um, I do want to let people know that our Grand Slam podcast is out later today. That is open to everybody as always on a Monday. And our fifth birthday celebrations—they're in full swing on the World Service. We're two fifths of the way through our five-part series of big interviews. Don't worry, when, when I host actual parties, I don't measure the time to quite that.
3: Okay, everybody, we're two-fifths of the way Turn through Turn the this. music down. I just want everyone to know we're 43% of yeah, the way we're through this way. party.
1: Everyone having a good time? Yeah. So we've had an incredible reaction to Vincent Brown and Michael Cheka so far. Thank you very much for all the nice messages about those ones. We really enjoyed having them on. And make sure to check them out if you miss them. Throughout this series, we've been trying to interview people with a really fierce, independent spirit is probably the best way of putting it. Uh, next up is a man who certainly isn't short in that department. I spend my fucking life trying to change this sport my whole fucking life I walk into a courtroom in Switzerland and I look around I've got the former president of the UCI has been chasing me through the courts for five years I turn up for this hearing, an open hearing and I look around having spent my fucking life trying to change this sport I look around who's there? Nobody. Not one member of the press. Not one former cyclist that I've tried to help. Nobody. I am on my own. And I'm thinking, you fucking eejit. It's powerful stuff. It's Paul Kimmage in the player's chair with Richie Sadler. That's going to be out tomorrow, Tuesday. And Paul is absolutely brilliant right throughout. You do not want to miss this one. Sign up now if you're not already signed up for just a fiver a month. On secondcaptains.com. Now, Ken, let's get back into this Luke Shaw Mourinho stuff in our
0: report on sport. Well, just Luke Shaw's um, tribute to Pochettino uh, yep. goes on for several pages. When he gave me the first hug, I thought, who is this guy? What's he doing? Um, he used to make me a drink in the morning. I didn't eat badly, but he used to think my diet wasn't good. So he made me a smoothie each morning made of spinach, loads of fruit and vegetables. He never told me what it was. I used to go into his office, he'd let me sit in his seat. That's how much he loved me. He was like, no one ever sits there but me, but you can sit there. It was like a family thing. I'd sit there and he'd have my drink ready for me. Sometimes it was before training, sometimes it was after. Sometimes I'd go in the back way if I was late and he'd send someone to get me. Or if I was leaving, he'd walk past his office and I'd hear. And he'd be knocking on the window. He used to call me his son. That's how good our relationship was. (laughs) I remember him saying one day, you can be the best, but you just have to believe in yourself. He He was the one who changed my mentality. He'd make me feel I was the best. He'd show me clips of my games and say, you could do this better. Not in a horrible way. Not, I could have done better, but I should have done better because he knows I can be better. And so on and so forth. And he's just talking about what an amazing guy Pochettino is. And also, also kind of says, he said to me when I left that he'd broken, that I'd broken his heart. But wants me to play for I do hope I can play for him again one day. And I think he really wants me to play under him again. Now... I I think there's a good chance that might happen. Yeah, you're
1: seeing a certain escape route that might be open there for Luke Shaw. The only
0: question is whether Pochettino really still feels the same way about Luke Shaw. Because Pochettino is at the end of it, you know, he's a football manager. He's not a, you know, he's not actually Luke Shaw's dad. Maybe, maybe he feels, maybe Luke Shaw isn't the player that he was. He isn't the player who left Southampton. I'm not sure. Maybe he feels Luke Shaw can be rebuilt. Mourinho clearly doesn't. But I don't get the feeling that Mourinho ever gave Luke Shaw the kind of individual attention that Pochettino did that that was quite effective but as I was saying Luke Shaw has been criticized for his freshman not really you know Pochettino hasn't really hammered him or anything he did mention in the book uh, a little bit about he tells a story about Luke Shaw uh, where he's saying you know oh Luke Shaw love this guy uh, what player um, and he says uh, I'd give him a hug and a smile which we both needed for different reasons <laughs> Uh, we just chat, even when we didn't understand each other. Do you have a girlfriend? Do you still have the same friends? What do you do for fun? I'd sometimes get angry with him. Luke would often go to London. I didn't like him doing that. It was an unnecessary and too regular distraction. This is from Southampton, obviously. It's you know, uh, He says, well, I told him as much. Was he focusing enough on his profession? Did he enjoy it enough? Okay, I won't go anymore, he told me. One day, his mother brought him to training. I asked her to come to my office. Where have you come from? London. Luke came up to London yesterday, she replied. I made a joke that cracked us both up. But I felt Luke's head was not in the right place to make the sacrifices and decisions that are necessary at that age. It was a Monday. I didn't speak to him again until the Friday. And I don't think he went back to London much after that. Now, the interesting thing about that is do you remember hearing better at the time? Do you remember Pochettino coming out and doing a, a seven minute press conference where he sits there, motionless, rasping about Luke Shaw? <laughs> Lacking, you know, or players who lack personality. I don't remember
1: that press conference.
0: No. This happened between Pochettino and Luke Shaw and got the results. Okay, here's another, here's another one for you, Owen. Identify the rider. Identify the rider. Who could this be? After a game, I would always try to avoid criticising the players. They had enough pressure without me piling it on in public. I saved my criticism for the private sessions away from prying eyes. Alex Ferguson. You're correct, Owen. You are correct. I tried to take my first
1: good guess in a while. These (laughs) I tried to
0: take the pressure off the player who did not need me or anyone else to remind him of mistake of of his mistake. Most players are mortified when they let down their team. My first inclination was always to defend the player and sort it out afterwards. Which is not to say that the player never heard any more from Alex Ferguson about the mistake (laughs) that he made. You know, a lot of the time he would, or a lot of the time he might find himself kicked out of the club at the end of the season. But everybody wouldn't get to hear about it. But the thing about this is that what Mourinho's doing is di- is a different thing. Mourinho doesn't care at all about the player who he's criticizing. That player is already right off. That the function of the the function of what's happening here is not to get more out of that player, but it's similar to the head, you know, the head on a pike outside the city walls. You know? A rotting head on a pike.
1: So does he need to is it better for Mourinho to keep that scapegoat in the
0: club? Uh well, I mean the, so the skateboards been can, in the club you, for the last can, two years. Can, it's probably time to move this guy on getting yeah, used yeah, this, yeah. There's a lot of pop- There's a lot of alternatives. There, 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 are, there are plenty being, yeah. of other goats. There's there's a there's a loud bang noise from outside. Everyone's clothes are are, uh, are nibbled to pieces. <laughs> you know, there's there's any number the goats, there's more goats than you can shake a stick at. Yeah. So it's time to it's time to cull some goats here, is what I'm saying. And this is what's happening at, at Man United because season okay respectfully to the FA Cup is is effectively over at this point uh, with the champions with losing to Sevilla now Mourinho was reported to have told the players when we win uh, or it's when we win we win together when we lose I lose alone now I don't know what tone he said this in because there's no this is supposedly something he said in the dressing room which was reported and I don't know maybe it was like a, a cynical and a bitter comment on wh- how he felt things were oh yeah you know, when we when we win, you know, you all you guys all get to share in the credit, but when we lose it's just little old Josie. Little old Josie. Well, I think we can we can see that I mean it was reported as like a magnanimous comment at that time. Like J Marina was saying, Don't worry about this. We win together. But when we lose, I, the father figure, the patriarch of the group will go and take this, this things in arrows and well, I mean, everything that we've seen since then suggests that actually Right, we lost, and now you're going to pay. You are going to pay. You and you and you, you're all going to pay. So this is an amazing press conference that he did before the Brighton match on um, on Friday. Uh, really, this is where he came in with a pre-prepared thing, talking about how Manchester United has no football heritage. And statistics showing how mediocre the performance has been in Europe since 2011, the last year they got to the Champions League final. Um, and also one year more recently than Mourinho has been to the Champions League final. But uh, he, he talked about how they, you know, this is football heritage. City, you know, they've got investment, they've got good players, investments from the past. When I arrived here, there was no good players. You know, look at where they are now, the players who we've sold. Look where they play. They don't play anywhere. Sevilla, do you think that Sevilla, you know, that there are not players in Sevilla who would go directly into my team? And he's getting more and more More and more angry, Uh, but then, I I mean, that was okay. It it was like okay, this is this is something we've seen from from uh, from Mourinho before. You know, it's like once uh, the uh, a bad bad result happens, and now okay, it's time to we're looking towards next season. And there's two things. One one of them is is is, as he said in that press conference, there is the uh, I am on the same page as Mr. Woodward, Mr. Arnold bosses you know they all understand we need investment we need to invest at the same pace or more than rivals match to city we need to spend so splurge mm-hmm. that's part one of the strategy and part number two is purge uh, there are players here there are players who are weak there are there are players who don't have character this is what he was talking about on saturday night remember they just beaten brighton it's like a, it's like Another win, and, and he comes in and goes. Nah, Madrid is an island of class, of personality, of desire, surrounded by not by water, but by weakness. You know, and Shaw is only the most obvious example. He was sort of beating up on, but this, there's there's got to be more. You know what I mean? There's- well, he did. He
1: he also he also name checked Valencia and said, well, I was going to bring off one of the two fullbacks because they were both an absolute disaster. They were both terrible. And unfortunately, I didn't want to take two of them off because that would have left me with too few substitutions for later in the game. So Shaw came off. Mm. Now
3: of
0: he,
1: he, By the way, he could have taken off Valencia. <laughs> so obviously, I just took Shaw off
3: when I was choosing between Shaw and A and other. I mean, isn't that guy's confidence is Shaw anyway. I mean, how, how much worse can he get?
0: Well, he, he's, he's, been, he's been beating up on Shaw for a long time. Shaw should have he needed yeah. to get himself out of there. He really needs to get himself out of there and and obviously he will now. Um you know but but okay so we've seen we've seen him do this. but As I'm saying the point is not to get more out of the player. I mean, it, Mourinho was asked in this press conference after the Brighton match on Saturday, uh don't you think it's a bit risky? You know what you're doing? You, you you are you're being very honest, of course. Honesty is a wonderful thing, but you are criticizing the players and is there a little bit of a risk maybe when you criticize the players? Yeah. And they said, "Well, what's your calculation then? My calculation is, you know, without pressure, they don't perform. So what do I have to lose? But basically, you know if I try to be nice, I don't get any head of these guys, so now I'm going to now it's no more Mr. Nice guy, and we'll see what they have to perform. But of course, the target of this is not really Luke Shaw. he's already dead. Right? It's everybody else. It's everybody else who sees this and thinks, "My God." This could be me. This could be me with 37% of the supporters raging about me on the internet. You know, just that number, that 37% number (laughs) of supporters going, oh, this guy, Luke Shaw, I've had it up to here. uh, Posting photoshopped images of you looking even fatter than you did in the white kit, you know? Um, Think back to Real Madrid, and uh, and as Diego Torres said, Pedro Leon was a Luke Shaw-like player, 23-year-old. Oh... You guys here... First, it started when when, uh, Mourinho rounded on Luke Shaw, or not Luke Shaw, rather, Pedro Leon, sorry, Pedro Leon, in the dressing room in front of the other players. I've heard you going around saying you think you're a star. Oh, you think, yeah, you think you've already made it. Well, you haven't. You're not going to play for the next several matches. You know, you're out, and until you learn how to be a professional, you'll stay out. The other players are like... Jesus! What happened there? Like we we don't even know. This is the first we've seen of this. What's going on? What's the big problem with Pedro, Pedro León? Who is one of the most junior members of the squad? Mm-hmm. Does the press conference a few days later, and obviously all the journalists are like, what's going on with Pedro León? We heard maybe there's a bit of disagreement. Uh, he says. Um, he says uh, you're talking about Pedro León as if he's a Dan or Maradona. Pedro Leon is a good player, but not so long ago he's playing for Getafe. He's not being called up for one game. Feels like you're talking about Zidane, Maradona, Di Stefano. You're talking about Pedro Leon. And so, uh, and this is from from the Torres book. This is this is kind of when the, this is the key moment, almost in that first season at Real Madrid, where the Real Madrid players began to understand what kind of guy they were working with. Mourinho spoke with a mixture of cruelty and pleasure. The sadistic nature of the rant unsettled the squad. He used the word sadistic, which might, may seem like you know, overblown or whatever, but it, it is. It's like to pick out a guy who, for for no reason, and just abuse him. Like you're, we're talking about Pedro León here. You know, he's not a he's not a serious player. That it that's that's crazy, you know. But it was the first time the players felt their manager represented a threat. Gradually, they began to follow every public appearance on TV, on the web, via Twitter, with iPhones, BlackBreeze. They didn't miss a single appearance because they understood that in the press room, a different game was being played out, one that would have a major effect on them professionally, a game that could ennoble or degrade them, place them in the spotlight or bury them, conceal their misery or entirely disregard their their merits. A ritual of four weekly appearances that they only had access to as spectators. So it's like, is he going to ruin me today? Will this be the day when I get ruined? Like, Luke... Or when Luke is gone, you know, is it Anthony Martial? I mean, how much confidence is there really there in Anthony Martial? I mean, Smalling and Jones have been called out before for being cowards with injuries like uh, like Luke Shaw has. Um, Martial was playing well in that position that they appeared appear to have bought Alexi Sanchez for. Amazingly
1: they can, amazing can even feel the full team of 11 players with all these tin hearted Players out there <laughs> lacking the moral well, fibre you, and physical well, when, courage.
0: When you've got lads like Lukaku and Matic, good-hearted lads, who, who will take you a long way, and it is a pity that they, that they have to carry these guys as well, um, uh, it, it's, it's difficult. But, you know, what's going what's to happen? I mean, what, the, the, I think the thing to understand, the thing you always have to understand with Mourinho is, okay, what is the strongest emotion? What's the strongest of, every, of all emotion? Hate. No, not. It's <laughs> something, there's something, uh, Fear? Not, definitely not love. Fear is the answer <laughs> on. Fear <laughs> is the answer. Fear is the only thing that's real. I think you we all
3: found out quite a bit about sort of the group dynamic here. <laughs> Just you know, in there that last 10 seconds.
0: Team spirit. Hey. It, you know, is, is it Steve Archibald who came out with like one of the most amazing quotes in the history of football that, that uh, team spirit is an illusion glimpsed in the moment of victory. Basically something that doesn't exist or something that only exists when things go well. As Mourinho saying, when things go well the sun shines, every player wants the ball, every player looks amazing but when it's dark and when it's cold. This is, these are direct quotes from <laughs> Mourinho on Saturday night. When it's dark and when it's cold, fear we didn't actually talk about fear as the thing that lives in the night. fear rules the night, but this is this is him. There's a great line in that Taurus book about Mourinho on the bench watching a game, a close game, and the, the terror that radiated from him because of the fear of losing. Like someone describes him as looking like a man with a fear of flying, like staring out the window of a of a tiny plane that's hit us hit a spot of pet uh, or not petulance, turbulence. Um this is why the tactics are are set up to minimize risk rather than to minimize freedom and and creativity and so on and so forth. Um, And the fear, I suppose, at some level of being reduced back down to the 20 year old who was nobody in football. This is what he was talking about on Friday. We'd been talking about it, I think, a couple of days beforehand. How, you know, how does a guy win the respect of top players when he's not a top player? Yeah, I
1: I should say to the Monday only listeners. At this point, we do now produce a daily Jose Mourinho <laughs> podcast with this is the last on the world one. service. <laughs> this
0: is this is the last one. This is the last one. For no,
1: you see, you can't guarantee that because he is. In fairness, it's also an FA Cup weekend. Yeah, Let's be thankful for jo- to Jose for jazzing up a true. little bit.
0: I mean, it is because it is cinema. You know, it's like it's like Conte said, make cinema, and it is it is cinema. I mean, it started out as Mourinho at United. What is this like? um Something like watership down, maybe he's they're all trying to get to a new place where they where they're a good team again. Maybe in keeping more with the with the big budget nature of Manchester United, it's a technical extravaganza like uh, the Ten Commandments, where Jose Moses leads his his people are in bondage uh, under Pharaoh Luvianal. The people they cry, they are in bondage. I. Moses Mourinho will lead them uh, to the, back to the promised land, to their birthright. Um, and that's kind of how, how things have been uh, going for a while. Um, but of course, this wandering around the desert part is, go, is going on a bit longer than expected. We've just had a setback. You know, the Jose is like striking the rock with a staff. No water springs forth. <laughs> you know, so so Jose. What we what what appears to have happened now is Jose has has come down from the mountain. You know, with the Seven Tablets, and he's found Luke Shaw and Anthony Martial worshipping a golden calf. Right, <laughs> they're they're worshipping the calf, and you know we're in a different movie now. Is what I'm saying. Moses has withdrawn into the desert. He speaks. You know, at night, he strikes in silence. This movie is, has has kind of gone from being The *Indiana* into kind of *Knight of the Hunter*, something a bit more like that. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a killer on the loose.
1: So, is it like one of those movies, Murphy? Might know what they're called, where there are two or even sometimes three totally different movies with different directors within the same film?
3: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's the definitely ones I'm it's, about? it's gone. To be honest, I think that this production is in turnaround, as they say in Hollywood. <laughs> uh, uh, the screenwriter. Has fallen out with the director. Yeah, uh, the staff are up in arms. Uh, lead actors do no longer want to work. Uh, it the whole thing's a mess. Well,
0: it's Variety
3: var- is aflame with talks that this is the biggest bust that Universal Studios has uh, ever produced. <laughs>
0: but, 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 you know, Universal Studios execu- executives have said, we have absolute faith, faith in, in this, and, and actually we were increasing the budget.
3: Of course, we've said, we've said a couple of our, our best numbers men down to Mexico, down to the, down to the, the one yeah. of them still hasn't this come set. back, yeah. you know,
0: and the other hasn't actually, hasn't spoken, you know, but look, it's, so, so it's a high stakes moment, but I believe, what's going, as Maria said, we're all on the same page. Mr. Woodward, Mr. Arnold, and the owners run on the same page, so they understand what's needed. There's a process here. There's a lot of goats that need to be burnt. Um, we know who some of them are. There's others out there which will, who will have to be found and struck down. Uh, and hopefully, with the, with this blood, we can wash clean Manchester United. I mean, that's, that's what we're looking at. So, no one is... Uh, don't let anyone tell you that this is not an interesting situation, right? This is... <laughs> This is as soon as the game is over. Manchester United becomes the most interesting club in football. Yeah. Um,
1: Much as I slag you off for talking a lot about Mourinho, Ken, I am coming around to the opinion that he's become interesting to me again?
0: <laughs> it is. How can this not be interesting? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not that when I say it's interesting, it doesn't mean it's good. It doesn't mean here's a here's a masterclass in management or here's something that they, that will be in all the textbooks in, in you know twenty years' time. But it is. It does have a compulsive watchability. Hmm. Uh so we'll we'll see where it goes next. But so what else? Something else I want that's compulsively watchable is Mohamed Salah. Oh. Uh Mohamed Salah who is way out in front now in the in the golden shoe, the European golden shoe. He's like three ahead of uh, Lionel Messi. Although interestingly, not the top scorer in Europe. Who is the top scorer in Europe? He's got the Salah's got thirty six, but there's somebody with thirty seven.
1: Yeah. In, in all competitions. Not the Italian, who scored four goals the weekend, no.
0: Uh, that was Icardi of Inter yeah. He's not. Uh, he's not quite at that. He's up. He's up there in the in the top sort of twenty. But he's not. Uh, he's not number one ahead of Mo Salah. I mean, this is actually an easy question. It's, it up, the, it's the same guy. It usually is. It's Ronaldo. It's Cristiano Ronaldo who like didn't score at all for the first few months. Like he'd scored two goals in the league by Christmas. As yeah, but
1: then didn't he have a bet with his teammates or something? Do you see this? Oh, I, I don't know. He, he told us it when he was about... He, he scored one or two goals and Messi was on 11 and he said, I bet the rest of you that I'm going to finish top scorer this season.
0: Well... The rest of them rolled their eyes and said, okay, grand. <laughs> well, we'll bet you a Lamborghini or whatever. Yeah. I mean, as long as he specified in all competitions, I think he's going to win the bet uh, because he's... I mean, he's got 30, 37 um, goals. He scored 17 in his last eight. So that'll... That'll help to bring that, you back. That will up.
3: move you up the charts fairly fast. And
0: his fifth, fiftieth hat trick of his career over the weekend. But you know, Salah scored four goals. Um, Klopping asked, "Then is he is he like Messi? Is Salah Messi now?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Klopp makes a quite good point. I don't think Mo or anyone else wants to be compared with Lionel Messi. He's the one player who's doing what he's been doing for what feels like twenty years or so. The last player I know who had the same influence on a team performance was Maradona, but Mo is in a fantastic way, that's for sure. It is true. I mean, Salah keeps this up for another ten years, and yeah, he will be. He will have a body of work to compare with Messi. But what he's doing is um, is amazing. Uh, zero yellow cards, leading the Golden Shoe. Harry Kane looks like he's not no, not, not going to be a contender now because of his injury. Lionel Messi is there. Um, Three goals behind, but uh, it's looking uh, looking pretty good. He he needs, I think, three more to equal the records for Premier League 30. Four more to have the record for a 38-game Premier League season, beating Ronaldo, Suarez, and Thierry Henry. Are they, do they all get there? Maybe no, I don't know,
1: Ken. I've lost my confidence now. All that good work done in with my Alex Ferguson answer has been undone. With my failure to cop on that Cristiano Ronaldo is obviously...
0: <laughs> Ronaldo is for. the top scorer again. If in that
3: in future... Who is the top scorer of X tournament? We'll just say Ronaldo. Yeah, it's just it's the best. It's, you're never going to look too stupid if you guess Cristiano Ronaldo. That's all for today's report on sport.
1: See if you don't get out with a result, mother will. You're away, mate. Your bags in your desk, boom. Your bags in your desk, boom. I mean it. I'm fucking raging, speaking from my heart. Who would I want in? I get my titty
2: boots in. And... Mr. Tate, how you doing?
3: Not too good after tonight. You got a job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no beat, take no beat, take no beat, no beat, no beep. Just so soft, don't try to get so deep. You know me, but I can't no meet, I can't no meet, I can't no meet, I can't no meet, I can't no meet. You have lost the fans tonight, you don't deserve the fans. What's the fans? You need to fucking work, wouldn't you? You are nothing, you are a fool, and you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the gun is
2: booked, I'll stop.
3: Get a grunt! <laughs> He's your biggest fool in
1: Manchester. Well, let's keep talking about this goal-scoring machine. Mohamed Salah is up to 36 goals for the season, having scored four at the weekend. And apparently, Jonathan Wilson, he apologised to the Watford goalkeeper after the game for scoring so damn much. He just couldn't help himself. What a great guy apologising to the keeper.
2: Yeah, I wish people would stop apologising for everything, though. I mean, like, players apologise when they lose, apologise when they score goals. <laughs> just stop being sorry. It's your job.
0: Mm, I don't know. It's It's a little bit... You know, it's quite it's quite English in a way, isn't it? Just to apologise for things that you aren't really sorry for. Salah is adapting <laughs> fast.
2: Yeah, maybe, but I don't know. It, it seems a bit patronising to me to apologise to the keeper you've just humiliated.
0: Well, maybe he's he's just learning the the subtleties of of the um, fake apology. But you know, when you when you look at what he's what he's done, did you have any sense before the season started? You know, this guy Salah could potentially score a lot of goals. I mean, I, no, I don't think anyone was betting on him scoring thirty six goals, but. Um, that you know, he might be—he he might kind of uh, change things a little bit in the league.
2: No, I wasn't expecting. him. I thought I thought he was a good player. I, I was quite keen to see him, um, and thought that what happened to Chelsea wasn't really representative. You know, I'd seen him playing for Egypt at the Cup of Nations, and so you know, you could see he was a good player. I don't think anybody realised he was quite as good as as he's turned out. And also, just the the, the number of goals is is, is something that. I guess people in Spain have seen it before, but with Messi and Ronaldo. And we haven't really seen it here from players who, who start from wide.
0: So what would you define his position as? I mean, is, is he playing a kind of game that we don't have the vocabulary to uh, or haven't yet developed the, a word for what this player uh, does in the field?
2: Yeah, I think that's probably true. I mean, uh, we've, we've just seen this sort of pattern over the past, I guess, 10 years or so, the idea of, of a false nine. And I think uh, Firmino plays that role probably more falsely than almost anybody else. You know, he, he's, he seems not to care at all about scoring goals. He's, you know, he's always dropping off, and that creates space for people to cut into from wide. So I mean, you think back to uh, the United team that won the Champions League in 2008, when you had either Tevez or Rooney in that central role dropping off, and Ronaldo and one of the other two cutting in, and occasionally even in in Champions League games you had Ronaldo starting centrally. So that, that idea of a very fluid front three, I think is not it's not that new. And I think, you know, you look back even to the seventies and you had people like Dennis Stewart who were very or oh, Fanny Lee who were very good at cutting in from wide and scoring goals. But yeah, I, th- I think we don't really have a word for that. So I mean, you know, what is he? He's a he's a wide forward. He's certainly not a winger. Um or not a winger in the 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 classics or Stanley Matthews Tom Finney sense of you know, beating the fullback on the outside and, and, and trying to get a cross in, um, so so yeah, he he is this sort of phenomenon that we haven't quite our vocabulary hasn't quite caught up with.
0: Well, is this though? Is it uh, a peculiarity of playing with an unusual player like Firmino, who at times, as you were kind of saying, does look a bit more like a box to box midfielder? I mean, uh, Klopp was saying after the game on Saturday. That he played more in the wing, where this is Salah played more in the wing in Rome, for example, where he had a very dominant striker in Eden Jacko. Nobody could know that he would play as a striker. We didn't know for certain, uh, but in the preseason we knew. Basically, he's saying, "Look, if if Firmino's not going to be in the box, then it's going to be you." I'm wondering though, is it the kind of thing that couldn't happen without somebody quite uh, unusual like Firmino in the team next to him?
3: Yeah,
2: I think that's true, and I think the other thing that's true is you need a fullback going outside you um, to you know, to help draw away the fullback. And you know, if a fullback can take up his position sort of on a you know, on a on a forty five degree angle, then that advantage you have of cutting onto your stronger foot against his weaker foot is largely negated. If the fullback's having to stay quite wide because he's worried about a player you're know, going down the line, then he you know he can't take up that forty five degree position. That's what we saw. Yeah, when, when Messi first came through when he was playing on the right and you had Eto playing as the false nine and that was one of the problems teams had against that Barcelona of what, 11, 12 years ago now. And if you remember, one of the ways that um, that was successfully counted was uh, Rafa Benitez playing Arbeloa on the wrong side, playing Arbeloa as a left-back so that when Messi came inside, he was coming onto Arbeloa's stronger foot, onto his right foot. So, um, yeah, it, it's... It's partly about Salah's ability, but it's also about the tactical makeup of the team and his his role within that. That you need Firmino to to drop deep, to pull defenders out of position, to to create the space. And I think having um, your know, fullback outside, having um, Alexander Arnold or, or whoever. Uh, you, you need that, that that option as well.
1: You talked about that Arbaloa counter move and it was something I wanted to ask you about. How do you actually stop? Because Mohamed Salah is a superb footballer. He's not Leo Messi though. There must be ways of stopping him and I guess the the best team that I can think of in recent games who've given it a shot has been Manchester United. What did they do and is there a template there for other teams?
2: Well, I think what United did was, was to stop Liverpool as a whole. I don't think it was necessarily targeted just at Salah. So so yeah I mean you could play a full back on the wrong side which I guess it, that's very dependent on the full back and how comfortable he is doing that because there will be times when he has to to use his left foot to you know to clear the ball so you know he's got to be comfortable doing that as Abelo was um or you just do what you know United did and, and sit quite deep and Liverpool's game is still, I think, very heavily based on pace and getting in behind you. If there's no space in behind, then, then that is to an extent negated. So you, you sort of cut off the the supply at Sal and you cut off the space he you can, you can run into.
0: Yeah, I wonder what what do you think when you sort of step back from this? Why should it now be the case that players in this type of position have become um, the most the most dangerous? Well, not necessarily the most dangerous, but you know, Messi did it for for years. Uh, what Salah is now doing, I mean, this is not something that used to happen in football before. Like traditionally in the history of football, it's always been strikers who who are finishing with by far the biggest goal tally. I mean, it used to be that that if you were, if you were, you know, if you started normally on the, in a wide position, to score a goal every three games would be considered a phenomenal rate of scoring. For for you know, if if your job wasn't mainly being in the in the penalty area, so why should it suddenly have changed over the last ten, twelve years? That's That actually, one of the ways in which you can score a ridiculous number of goals is to start way outside the box.
2: I think there's a number of things. Um, I'm not 100% convinced that any of these theories are about to give you a true, but I think they're all sort of worth considering. So the first one, which is maybe the most um, uh, flimsy, is is the ball. Uh, not, not the ball being particularly different now to what it was 10 years ago, but the ball being different now to what it was 50 years ago. So if you think of football as we now know it, is essentially shaped by the Brazil nineteen fifty eight. That that switch to a back four conditions our, our whole way of thinking about the game. And they had wingers who, you know, went outside. I mean, okay, Guerreiro did score goals, but essentially, the, you know, the the job of wingers in that system, not necessarily for Brazil, but certainly for the European teams who who copied that that 442, the winger still pursued the the old model of the winger. They still tried to get outside. They still try to get a cross in. And one of the reasons was you couldn't really impart much spin on that ball. So dragging a ball back at an angle was the best way to get it away from defenders. Now you have a lighter ball that moves more in the air, it's much more dangerous to cut inside and to curl the ball towards the, the far post. Even if you're not shooting, even if you're putting in that cross, um, having it going towards the keeper so you just need to touch is dangerous now in a way it wouldn't have been with the old ball. Um, so that's something... I saw Andy Hinchcliffe talking about this with corners, actually talking about how his idea of taking a corner was always just a little bit of in-swing was the most dangerous which is not what somebody 20 years old and would have said where it would have been about pulling the ball away from a keeper but he felt that was too hard for a modern player to attack uh, if it's sort of curling you know, with, a, with a, a great degree of spin away from a goal so I think the ball has Okay, that's flim- to flimsy begun theory begun. number one oh, that's I like a, that that's a one a good yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is good Yeah, it's yeah. solid You've got to back these theories Jonathan What's number two?
2: Uh, number two is fullbacks. That we've now basically over the last, well, in fact, it's Jack Charlton at the '94 World Cup. Um, uh, I can't remember if it was an interview or an article he wrote, but I mean you can find it online. Uh, well, you certainly find me writing about it online because uh, I think it's a really fascinating point and key to kind of a whole load of things that have happened since. That the '94 World Cup, he said that. <coughs> so, excuse me. He said that um, the tactically most important position on the pitch is the fullback. And the reason he gave was, if four four two meets four four two, your two centre backs pick up the two centre forwards, the four midfielders pick up you know, each other, and so the people who have time and space, the people who can dictate and control the tempo of the game, the people who can work out what's going on, are the fullbacks. They've got space in front of them, and so they begin to advance. And so, look, we we had attacking fullbacks before. That like people like Chikindu um, Faketi, Norton Santos were great attacking fullbacks, but it became much more uh universal from the nineties onwards. We now we barely think of fullbacks as defensive players anymore. You know, when when we think of great fullbacks, we're not thinking about people who put in big tackles, we're not thinking about people who mark brilliantly, we're not thinking of people who you know, never get beaten by a dribbling opponent. We think of people who get forward, who join the attack and get crosses in. And as I was saying earlier, you need that player going outside to release the, the wide man to come inside. So that change in the role of a fullback to being a you know a, a midfielder or almost an auxiliary attacker, and something like Danny Alves would be the the extreme example of that. I think that change has had a huge impact. And the third theory is just the false nine that you need the centre forward dragging people out of position and creating space for the, that wide man to cut in. Um, so it's those three things together, I think, have changed just our conception of what's what's possible. Yeah. And you can argue that. All of those things have been in place for twenty, thirty years, but you know, I just think there's a lag of kind of, uh, you know, as is, is each one slightly advances, that that wide forward becomes more and more important. Yeah, it's, and there's a, there's a really interesting interview that Alex Ferguson gave in uh, May two thousand and nine, talking about Wayne Rooney's role coming in from wide, and essentially saying that in a in a packed modern uh, pitch. You're always looking for, for where you can create more space, and if you start attacking on the on the on the hypotenuse, on the diagonal, rather than in straight lines, your hypotenuse is longer than the other two bits of the triangle, and therefore there's more space more of a you're difference creating acceleration room for yourself.
0: Right. Okay. I mean, what we see w- with this uh, system at Liverpool, has been phenomenally successful this season. is like 73 goals between the front three. Um, which is, you know, an amazing tally with with still a few weeks to go. Um, so it really it does look like an effective way of scoring goals and and a way of playing that you'd imagine teams would be interested in copying. But if I think back to last summer, the two big goal scorer signings of the uh, in the Premier League were Morata and Lukaku, two you know um, kind of uh, number nines, you know, the the sort of old old fashioned type of centre forwards. Um, I wonder if this is a function of the fact that I mean maybe there are managers who who prefer to play that way. Um, you know, it's not as though there are no strikers about. You you've got you got somebody like Lewandowski. You got you know Ensign Cavani. You know, you've got plenty of strikers at the moment who are who are also scoring a lot of goals. It's not as though this way way of playing doesn't work, but. Is it is it maybe a case that it's more difficult to find players who can be good false nines? I mean, I I think of Firmino. There's not too many players I can think of who are like him. I wonder what even the, I wonder do we even know the characteristics of an ideal player in that position? What should a false nine be able to do? We all know what a what a good centre forward looks like. You know, we all we all know what a you know your ideal centre forward might be six foot two, stronger than the other players, able to move a little bit despite being this big. We we know what we're looking for. But what are we looking for, if we if we want to get a false nine,
2: yeah, I, th- I mean I think that's absolutely true, and I think it, it is much harder to uh, to set up a team to play that like, because you're not just you know if you buy um, Lukaku or you buy Murata, uh that player even even Murata in you know a, a season where I don't think he's done particularly well he still must have scored sort of fifteen goals or so, mm. so you know you, you don't have to think particularly about how you're going to use him. You just get a good centre-forward, stick him in the box, get balls in there, and he will score goals. Whereas, it's very easy to imagine... Well, I mean, part this, there's two things. Firstly, it's it's very easy to imagine buying a false nine, it not quite working, and everybody going, what on earth does he do? And to be honest, I think our reaction, the general British reaction to Firmino when he first arrived was slightly bewildered of, is he actually any good? What's he doing? Mm. Um, and you know, I remember Brazil at the uh, Cop America in 2015, Firmino you're sort of watching him on the pitch and you sort of... In fact, I remember when uh, Liverpool moved to sign him and uh, I was asked by somebody, you know, what do you think of him? And I had a check he'd actually played in the last game I'd watched two days earlier because I couldn't remember him doing anything. Um, So, you know, I think it's very easy for false nine to... not to go wrong, but for for people not to to sort of realise what he's doing and therefore it's a more risky option for manager to sign him. You also... If you want to use a false nine, you have to have a Salah-type player with him. And and a a Manetou player, you're buying a three rather than one. Mm. You you can't just have any old player and stick him in the system and hope it works. You've got to think of the the overall makeup. Um, But to get back to what the actual question was, what are the attributes of a false nine? I think he's got to be incredibly selfless. He's got to be somebody who's not going to get worried if he doesn't score goals. He's got to be somebody who I think is tactically very intelligent, who, who understands where to move to create space. Um, plus all the you know, the normal attributes of the forward of when you do get a chance being able to score. Ideally, if he's good in the air, which I think is is unusual for false nine to be good in the air, uh, but Firmino is you know if you put a cross in the box, there's a fair chance Firmino might might convert it. Um, which you wouldn't say I think of say well, of Messi when he played as a false nine. Um, so yeah, it's it's sort of. I guess he doesn't have to be 10 out of 10 in any of the traditional centre-forward attributes, but he probably needs to be 7 out of 10 in them, but also to have this self-sacrificing tactical awareness that allows him to play for the team rather than for his own glory. Hmm.
1: I wonder, do kids grow up dreaming of being a false nine now? Maybe they do in the way that we all thought we'd be a striker scoring 30 or 40 goals a season. Listen, Jonathan, fascinating stuff. Thanks a million.
0: Cheers, thanks. What, you, what are you saying? <laughs> You're just a phony, man. This is just what happened. I admit I don't look like... The athlete of the day supposed to look This ain't wrestling, this ain't the WWE, baby My belly's just a little big, my heart is just a little big This is just an act that you're doing, you should be an actor But brother, I am bad and they know I'm bad
1: I'll never do that There
0: were two bad people, one was trying to win and he's scared, brother And the other was right here you, you can run around like you're a preacher and all that you want But baby, I promise you, I will baptize you <laughs>
1: teach that. Which of Jonathan's three flimsy theories are you going with here, Ken, regarding the reasons for wingers now scoring goals for fun? That the football itself is lighter, moves more in the air? Mm-hmm. That, as Jack Charlton noticed, I'm glad Jack Charlton got a mention there, mm. Jack Charlton noted that the full backs are the most important players in the team, or is it that the false nine now exists?
0: Well, I think, uh, well, the ball one was interesting, isn't it? Mm. I mean, I suppose that, that obviously does make a difference. I mean, if you have got a ball which is a good bit heavier, it it does change the game. I mean, we've had these balls for a long time. That was all I would say. Like the, in that like the idea of a of a ball that you can put a lot of curl on. This is something which has certainly been the case, at least going back to, you know, the nineties. The no, before then, like the, I mean, look at some of the goals that some of the balls that Pele would play in the nineteen seventy World that Cup. Already- you know, there's plenty of oh, there's plenty of spin like. Um, the, but, you know, Maradona used to, I, I, I mean, I remember Maradona during the 2010 World Cup talking but complaining that the ball couldn't, he couldn't put spin on the ball. It was like the Jabulani, remember? Mm,
1: that was a controversial
0: one. Which was like made out of some weird new material, which just, it just like slipped through the air, like, like it was lubricated. It was just weird. Mar- Gore-Tex, I believe. Maradona, I think I was at the press conference, it was in Pretoria or somewhere. Maradona had been out in the training field trying to, Taking a few free kicks and that, which largely was to show off, I think. I mean, I, in fact, I was I was reading just recently in some article about Messi um, where, yeah, it was an article just, I can't remember who had written it, but essentially the story was that Messi couldn't score. He was struggling to score from free kicks. You know the way he's now scored a stupendous quantity of yeah, goals direct from yeah, free yeah. kicks.
1: But he didn't always.
0: At the time, he was kind of struggling a bit with his technique and Maradona was like, hey, listen, come on, come on, out, I'll show you. I'll show you how to do this, right? And and proceeds to take it. This is in 2010 World Cup training. Proceeds to take a whole bunch of f- immaculate free kicks. Oh, gigs. no, this is the Glenn Hoddle <laughs> David Beckham problem. Yeah. Well, maybe Maradona w- was using different balls for this because also in the 2010 World Cup, he was complaining that he couldn't put any spin on this jabalani. And in his... It's like the way he spoke about it, it was kind of... It was like so obvious that a ball you couldn't spin was totally useless. It was like every pass has got some kind of spin. Like it, in terms of the precision of his passing, he's thinking not only in terms of the basic direction, mm-hmm. the target. You know, will it arrive at the right sort of time in the right kind of area? But it's also this: the spin is as, as fundamental a component of the pass to, to somebody like him as anyone else. So he was obviously doing this throughout his career. So I'm, I would just say that if if the, I mean, the ball probably has something to do with it. Certainly, has yes, compared to like the fifties but um, we've had this ball for a long time. So I'd say the fullbacks, really. The fact that they can now, they're expected to do the whole flank, the entire, the, the, he'll cover the entire flank. But well, that means there's no point in you both standing on the on the wing and attacking the position. So if the fullback is going to be up there all the time, then... The winger, so to speak, has to be inside and that's probably where it's coming from, I think.
1: Okay, that's just about it for today's football podcast. We have got Ireland's Grand Slam podcast out today, and we will have Paul Kimmage in the players chair tomorrow. So looking forward to that. Thanks again, thanks everyone Thanks all. Thanks, Owen. Owen, thanks, Ken. thanks, thanks Ken. for listening. Bye bye. That's the second time it's gone
0: off. They never got home, they never got home, they never got home, those those, those boys.